It's the podcast at moresportsnow.com. We have a full backfield today. Steve Titchener, Matt Lachlan, and John McAlevey. On the line with us today, the Giants beat writer for the Daily News, Pat Leonard. Pat, welcome back to the show. Gentlemen, thanks for having me on. I'm surprised we're talking Giants. I mean, there's nothing really to talk about with this. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. And that's why we're going to change yeah. topics for, just for a minute. <laughs> Pat, why, why don't we do this? And we will get to the Giants. But first, how about the Red Sox? I mean, to beat the Yankees in the Bronx, they take three from Houston. Steve is very proud. John <laughs> is smiling. They're both really, Red Sox fans. Really living up to a team that won 108 games, huh? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about this this morning. Like, I went to the University of Notre Dame and, Notre Dame has a lot of national championships under its belt, but when you go to Notre Dame and you take pride in the football program, everyone tells you, you know, you guys haven't won anything in a while. I mean, shouldn't you stop thinking of yourselves as a class of college football? Well, what about the Yankees? They're, you know, Notre Dame is basically the Yankees of college football. The Yankees have all these World Series championships, but how often have they really won lately? They really need to start getting on the board here. Yes. I mean, if Boston's going to keep rubbing it in their noses, they got to get on the board. It's very true, and one of our other frequent guests that comes on with us, Kevin Kernan, uh, he was tweeting up a storm over the playoffs, and he said, since the end of 2004, the Red Sox have done everything right, and the Yankees have done nothing right as far as uh, as the rivalry goes. Yeah, and it, you know, it's it was there was a lot encouraging about the Yankees season. Uh, you love you love their young players. I mean, it's amazing their farm system. You know, a lot of times baseball teams hype up a guy in double A AA or triple A and then they get to the majors and they're not what you think they could be. But mm. and Duar and Torres and you know, of course going back a little ways further, obviously Judge and these guys, there's so much encouraging about the team. But obviously anytime you fire a manager and you finish behind uh, where you were the year before, while your rival knocks you out and then is on its way to a World Series berth, that shows you you have a lot of ground to make up. And like you said, it's not the first time in, in recent years. And, Pat, I've always joked that, you know, the Red Sox had a bad century, but the first fifth of this century, they're making amends, huh? No doubt. No no question about it. And with different managers, with different players, you know, so we're not – this isn't just the, the same Red Sox team that rattled off all those World Series and, and snapped the curse uh, in the previous decade. You know, we, we've moved on. These are new players, mm. new managers. But same old results now where, um, as you said, in this century now, the Red Sox own the Yanks and the pinstripes. Well, a little respite uh, for from the football scene. We can talk about baseball and be angry at the Yankees and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. But uh, f- but football is, is certainly on the slate still. Uh, you know, John Mara came out this week and said, uh, you know, he wishes uh, – this is not his quote, but he basically said, play ball and shut up to Odell Beckham Jr., but you know what? I maintain that that the guy he could have done it better. Not talking about the owner. I'm talking about OBJ. He could have done it better. But I do sense a frustration there. I know it doesn't look good. The optics are bad. But you know, my response to John Mara would be, "Shut up and make your team better." <laughs> well said, Matt. And uh, you know, if I if Odell really could say that, that is what he would say because that's essentially what he was saying to begin with. Is you know. I take the blame, this being Odell. I take the blame for when things go wrong. But if it, it is my fault, I will own it. But in Beckham's opinion, and I agree with him, there are a lot of other reasons why the Giants aren't any good, and it's not because of him. Primarily, it's because of how they've built their team. And in that regard, their quarterback is front and center. As far as Mara believing in him, the Giants continuing to believe in Manning, 
not meaningfully uh, improving the offensive line. And so that's what's happened here. And you said you hit it right on the head. John Mara has made mistakes at the top and it's trickled down the general manager all the way down to the quarterback running the offense. And so obviously Beckham should not be saying these things publicly, but it's hard to argue with the validity of most of what he said. I, I agree. When he came out and said it, I thought, well, first off, I'm not sure what Lil Wayne was doing there, but uh, th- that was that was a strange look for sure. Comedy. But but how when, when it came out, I, I defended him from this standpoint. I in the team world, you can't say that. You can't come out and and publicly make those comments. But how is it that this guy can't be found downfield? Like he's got this weapon, and they throw. 16-yard passes to him. Come on, man. Right. Well, you know, that was I, – I thought what was most uh, – I mean, one thing that confused me about what Beckham said, he also was criticizing the play calling in, in his – in that long interview. And I actually thought, you know, for the most part, I think Shermer has called passes to get the ball downfield, and Eli Manning has not gotten the ball there. Mm. either because of poor protection or when he's had the protection, not making the throws. But I think what, uh, you know, Odell was kind of saying, listen, guys, no matter how we do this, we got to get it done from play to play. It's not me, it's you. And I think, you know, he, as he told us afterwards, he really boiled over from two things. One, the Jacksonville game right at the beginning of the season where Eli Manning missed him for two touchdowns and actually Manning basically intimated that Odell's route was responsible for the one overthrow. And I don't think that sat well with Beckham. And then the second thing was just in the Dallas game where the narrative coming out of that Sunday night loss in in Arlington was that the offensive line had been bad, but Odell and I and people watching the whole game knew that at the beginning of the game, they took some shots down the field and there were routes run down the field and Manning had time and he either overthrew his receivers or didn't even try to throw the ball downfield at all. And so that was what he was talking about. Well, Pat, you bring up uh, about building the team with John Mara. Uh, that started when they hired Dave Gettleman, a whole new face and a whole new regime here. And in his first press conference, I remember him saying that it's a big man sport and his favorite term, the hog mollies. And, well, he had a chance to rearrange the hog mollies across the front. They have five new faces. And believe it or not, this group of five might be worse than the group that they had last year. I mean, Nate Solder got big money, and he's been, you know, men's amends at best. Uh, Patrick Omame is sort of like an Eric Flowers light. I mean, he's been awful. Uh, Chad Wheeler is an undrafted player who, you know, is, is trying. He's got great hair. I'll give him that. And um, and what do we think of Will Hernandez so far? He was the big run, run grader and the mauler that they couldn't wait. They rushed to the podium to draft him. This group has just been bad all up, all around. Yeah, they've been frustrating. And even when they've been pl- even when they've played well, they've been inconsistent and struggled. Like that's how I see Solder. Solder's played well at times, but in every game so far, it feels like there's been one drive where you know, a pressure or two that he's given up both in run and pass has cost them that drive. And you're paying him so much money that you really can't deal with that. Now, I will say this. The one, th- the only thing Gettleman did right with the offensive line is that he recognized, compared to Jerry Reese, that it needed an overhaul and at least tried to do it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, Reese just left it there. And that's why, part of the reason he got fired. But Gettleman, even when he said he was going to address it meaningfully, I mean, you can't hand the job 
of right tackle to Eric Flowers when he's not here for a lot of the offseason. Everybody knows he's not any good, and you're just giving him this job. The guys on the team know he can't play. So that's a huge mistake. You mentioned Omame. Omame's been awful. I, I'm telling you, I'm wrong a lot, but I was right on this. The first week of training camp, I'm watching Omame in practice saying, this guy can't play. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason this guy has been on, what was it, four teams in the last five years or whatever. He is enormous and is just not very good. Uh, John Greco at center has been better than I would have thought a third-string center would be. But, of course, it's up and down. Hernandez, you asked me about Hernandez. I think Hernandez is a typical rookie. He's not, he's not great every snap, but he's, uh, he's, he, you can see why he was drafted so high, too. Mm-hmm. He can dominate. When it's one-on-one, Will Hernandez versus another defensive lineman, and his job is to wipe that guy out, and that's all he has to do, he does it. He wins one-on-one battles. But I, I understand why he goes through ups and downs. I think that's uh, that's typical of a rookie for sure. Pat, I mentioned Dave Gettleman. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, how is he doing physically? Uh, is he around the team again? Is he? Uh, I understand he had some good news a, a couple months back. How's he doing now? Yeah, I mean, the cancer's in remission. He uh, has been around the team much more often. Uh, we see him around the building more often. Um, he's in good spirits. And John Mara alluded to that he had gotten good news even recently. Uh, Gettleman hasn't shared those specifics, but mm-hmm. uh, he does seem to be doing very well. well that's good. And um, yeah, no, it's it's great. It's great to see. I think uh, I think he wants to focus too now on let's get a W. You know, because he doesn't want people talking about him. He wants people talking about the team, but he wants people talking about them for the right reasons. And um, Gettleman and Pat Shermer are bullish about the fact that they do feel that they have some good guys in that locker room and on the field, but we need to see some results. Let's get a first down. How about that? As Pat is as bad as it's been for the Giants, you know, look at the NFC East. You know, then they're you know uh, what uh, two and a half games out here. Uh, the Redskins at three and two, Cowboys and the Eagles three and three. I mean, they're not even out of their division. I mean, who do you think the cream of the crop is in the NFC East? And then uh, is, yeah. is there a possibility the Giants can make a run here? I think the Eagles are. I mean, they've struggled a little bit, but the Giants let them off the mat in a big way and I think did everyone else a disservice in the NFC, not just in the NFC East with last Thursday night's loss. Mm. Um, I don't think Washington's very good and they're banged up. So I think Washington, you know, the Giants have to worry about playing them twice and have to take care of business, but I don't think Washington's going to be there at the end. I think Dallas's defense is good enough if their offense uh, improves and maybe adds a receiver, that they could be in it at the end too. But, you know, part of the reason I think, even though they are, like you said, they're not totally out of it because no other team has more than three wins, but that also goes hand-in-hand with the Eli Manning situation. You know, they were never going to just bench Eli outright when they started 1-5, and but the wheels are in motion now for that to happen and for Lawletta to get in the game later this season now. But I think what you have here is a couple games to tell Eli Manning, look, you're on notice later in the season. We're going to play this kid. Um, but if you make something out of nothing here in the last next couple of weeks going into the bye, and you put us in a position to contend for the division again, and we have some hope going into week 10, then this season is yours. But you're on notice now, and you have a couple of weeks here. So that's what this buys for me, in my mind, is the Giants and Eli Manning to have a little more time to make that call. Well, they certainly have a chance in these two weeks. The Falcons' defense is dreadful. I know it's on the road, but... The, the Falcons yeah. are porous uh, on the defensive side of things. Then they come home for the Redskins. So 
there's a chance they could do something. But honestly, uh, you know, I'm not so confident that it can happen. Uh, what What is the outlook against Atlanta? Could this be a game where the Giants could get that second win? I mean, because Shermer said earlier this week, well, we've got one win. So I, I don't know if it was you, but somebody <laughs> said, hey, you know, just get a win and you, you can get going. He goes, well, we've got one win. The thing is, we need two. <laughs> but at any rate, um, right. how do they get two? Can they get two on Monday? No, yeah, that was that was funny to hear him say that because it was like, well, yeah, Pat, you do, but you've lost three straight now, and <laughs> it could really go off a cliff here if you lose to Atlanta. Um, well, here's how they be. Here's here's my concern with the Falcons game, and you're absolutely right. They are injury riddled, especially on defense. But they also have Devontae Freeman's now out for the year at running back. Calvin Ridley's banged up at receiver, so they're definitely a vulnerable team. They're two and four. My issue is that the Falcons, while they give up 32 points a game, they're scoring 27.4 a game, which is, you know, 27, a little over 27 a game. And the Giants are averaging, their defense is surrendering 27 a game. In fact, the Giants' defense, you know, there's so much focus on the offense and Eli Manning and Odell. Their defense has given up 33, 33, and 34 points in their last three games. So the way I look at it is this. Look at that Carolina game where the Giants were scoring with the Panthers, but the defense couldn't stop them, and it was up to one of the teams to make a play at the end, and the Panthers did, and the Giants did it. That's what I think this is going to come down to. I think the Giants are going to score, but I think the Falcons, the Giants' defense hasn't proven that they can stop anybody recently, and so I'm just afraid that it's going to be one of those, no matter what their offense does, at the end of the game, Matt Ryan and Steve Sarkeesian and the Falcons' offense are going to have their way with the Giants' defense. We know that the media is split a, a bit on Eli. We know the fans are definitely split on Eli. Uh, change him now. No, he's terrific. Two Super Bowls. You, you can't, you know, make him walk the plank, that type of deal. How does the locker room look at Eli? Is there a split there? I know you have to play. Listen, this is professional sports. They don't care. They want to win today. They want to win the next game. But is there a split brewing there that, uh, the Giants are going to have to deal with sooner rather than later. I mean, you talked about him being put on notice, but are the players still supportive of him? Uh, I think the players week to week are supportive of of him as their starting quarterback as, as far as let's go get a victory, you know, a war behind Eli to make it happen because that's, that's what we're going in this game with. But Odell isn't the only person who's frustrated with Eli Manning. He's just the one who said it. Um, you know, it's Sterling Shepard after that Eli Manning interception in Carolina went back and had that little outburst on the sidelines. And, you know, he was going through some stuff personally, and he said, listen, it wasn't about that interception. But let's be real here. These receivers, this team, the players on this team who are playmakers are fed up with not always being given the opportunity to make the play. They are used to being on offenses that score. And last year, Ben McAdoo knew that the quarterback was part of the problem. And so a lot of these players came back hoping for new coach, new scheme, new system, new offensive line, more points. And what they're seeing in these games is that often because of the quarterback, they're not making it happen. Like a lot of people are saying, you know, how come we're not seeing all the play action uh, in Pat Shermer's offense uh, that I'm used to seeing or that I expected? And how come Saquon Barkley is not opening so much on the offense uh, for the Giants in their th- passing game. It's because when they call the plays to complement the running game, Eli Manning's not making the play or the offensive line can't block it. Um, and, the, you know, the fact of the matter is, 
Manning's not mobile enough to run everything in Pat Shermer's offense effectively. So just like Ben McAdoo adjusted the offense last year because of the line and Manning, you're seeing Shermer call plays designed for his personnel. But to answer your question, there are plenty of guys, including like veteran leaders like Alec Ogletree and Nate Solder, who are staying the course and believing in Eli and all of that. But there's a hefty percentage of that locker room that understands that the, the construction of this roster led by the keeping of Eli at quarterback is a large reason why they are where they are. You know, Pat, we've been, I guess we're maybe 15, 20 minutes into this interview, and uh, just now you brought up the name Saquon Barkley. I mean, what more is there to say about this young man? I didn't have a chance to see too many of his games at Penn State, but, you know, when you hear people saying he's a guy that will someday maybe be fitted for a yellow jacket, he's certainly not doing anything to dispel those sort of uh, qualifications. I mean, He's a guy where you just can't take your eyes off him, whether he's bottled up in the backfield, he makes the first guy miss almost every time. And uh, how he, my, my favorite thing is, and uh, I'm going to show my age here, when he does cross the goal line, he looks for the first official to toss the ball to. So, um, I mean, what more is there to say about him? He does everything right, and he's got such a flair to him. Yeah, no. I mean, the Barry Sanders comparison isn't just about the big playability. It's also about that humility when he gets to the end zone, I think. Um, and I think that's appreciated, especially on a team that should just stop with everything else until it starts winning games and scoring more points. I think that's a good message sent by the rookie. You know, I, he's, he's amazing. That nine yard run um, against the Eagles was just incredible. You know, I mean, ju- you know, his jump cuts landing and cutting almost all in the same motion and breaking a tackle while he's doing it. Uh, He's everything as advertised. Uh, The Giants somehow scored 13 points in a game where Barkley had 229 yards from scrimmage, including a 50-plus yard touchdown. Unbelievable. So it's really a shame that they are wasting the talent and the production that he's giving them. Um, But, you know, I'll, I'll say this. It's great that he's on their team. But that argument about, oh, did they make a mistake not drafting a quarterback versus Barkley, it doesn't have to do with any criticism of Saquon Barkley. It has to do with the fact that if you have a great player on your roster, but you don't have a good enough team to help him win you games, then it probably means you misjudged the rest of your roster. Yeah, Pat, you were uh, you got ahead of me because that was my next question. The last time I spoke to you, I missed the last show you were on, we talked about the draft. And yeah, as, as special as Barkley is, and we knew he was going to be special, when you see what Darnold's doing with the Jets, you know, a lot of Giant fans have to uh, be wondering, man, would he look good in blue? Yeah. I, and, and listen, I Darnold was not my guy. I mean, we all had, you know, everyone around the draft had a quarterback that they preferred. Um, of course, coming off of Josh Rosen's difficult uh, game against Denver here, he, he's not the most popular name out there, but I would argue he doesn't have a lot around him, including the play calling there, which might get changed here. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, and this is what will always drive me crazy about this draft, not only does Darnold look like the real deal, but Baker Mayfield drafted ahead of them. Even if he was there, Giants wouldn't have taken him. They didn't want a short quarterback. But the fact of the matter is, when they were at two, and the draft, you know, uh, Mayfield goes one, and Darnold's on the board at two. I mean, Troy Aikman even said it on his broadcast this week. Denver, John Elway, who doesn't have a great history of picking quarterbacks, they liked Sam Darnold. The Jets liked Sam Darnold. Dave Gettleman did not even pick up a phone or take a phone call or make a phone call. You could have so easily 
leverage that pick with the Denver Broncos and the Jets against each other and someone coming up to get that and still, if not got Barkley and gotten another good player like a Chubb or a Quentin Nelson and gotten more picks, if you would recognize that your roster was not in position to contend. So I like Barkley. I love Barkley. I love him as a guy. I love him as a player. But not only did they not pick a quarterback, but their their lack of recognition of what they required and of the value of that pick and how they operated there, it was just bad business all around, and they could never take it back. And it takes us back full circle a little bit to me, to John Mara, because you wrote that uh, recently that, that they misjudged everything. But clearly they felt they had one kick at the can. And that was going to be get a running back here. And Eli still had some juice left and they would upgrade the offensive line and they'd be okay. They misjudged it entirely. And now they've set themselves back a long, long way. Uh, Barkley's terrific. Uh, He may very well be a Hall of Famer, as John said. Get that yellow jacket when it's all said and done. But uh, it is going to it's a huge rebuilding process for the Giants. and, And it still needs to be addressed. By the way, does Eli say hello to you? (laughs) because you've made it clear where you stand on that divide yeah you know that that's one of the things i really love about eli um is that you know now on the one hand i do think he spends a little too much time deflecting blame to be perfectly honest so he's not always standing there accepting blame i think he kind of subtly throws you know throws out all penalties uh you know drop passes this and that when he doesn't he doesn't always stand there and say i missed that throw but I love the fact that no matter whether you criticize him or support him, like it happened to me earlier this year, I basically ended his career in my column. <laughs> and then a couple of days later went up to him and asked him for a few minutes. And he said, sure, he knows what I wrote. He knows where I stand, but he's respectful. And he knows what it means to be a face of the franchise quarterback. Um, you know, and he's been, he's meant a lot to this franchise and to this area, you know, as far as all the money he's raised for pediatric cancer. And he's a stand up guy father of three um, means so much to the giants. And, you know, that's where the, the giants erred so badly in forgetting how much he meant to them, because then when they mishandled the benching, it led to all this fallout where now it's affected their thinking and sticking with him and not just stepping away from it all and removing the name from it and just objectively evaluating it. So it's all tied in together. Sort of differs from what, say, the Patriots do, where they sort of get rid of their uh, aging veterans before they get over the hill. They they start to get towards that hill, and then they sort of jettison guys like that. But, Pat, I wanted to go back to uh, you mentioned about the draft uh, and how they may have uh, really missed a couple of opportunities to pick up some picks uh, and, and get some more players to address some of their other problems. It looks like if the season continues on the way that it is going, uh, then they could find themselves right back in the mix with the top 10 pick again. And I know uh, early on this is a will be a draft that's dominated by uh, defensive linemen. Uh, we see Nick Boza has withdrawn from college. He'll probably be the number one pick. I don't think the Giants will be that high. But, you know, there are some quarterbacks out there. They're, they're not as highly thought of as the ones that were coming out last year. But, uh, you know, a Justin Herbert from Oregon is a name that comes up, and also Ryan Finley at NC State. Um, will the Giants go down that road if things uh, wind up being as bad as they are and maybe look at a quarterback in the first round? Oh, uh, yeah. They're de- yes, they definitely are going to have to evaluate. You know, they like Kyle Aletta. I do know they like him. Their fourth-round pick out of Richmond, the rookie. But they have to approach this draft the way they should have 
approach last draft. And listen, they did scout the quarterbacks heavily last year and just decided they thought none of them were franchise level worthy. Uh, so take, you know, file that one away. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you're right. I mean, it doesn't mean they're definitely going to take one up high because they may decide, especially because this isn't as strong a quarterback class as last year, that uh, these guys um, are at the level of quarterback that they need in their system. Uh, but, uh, and the, you know, fr- free agency is not ideal either here. I mean, Nick Foles would be a guy who is familiar with Pat Shermer. If he opted out in Philly, he could, uh, you know, he could come here or they could trade him. Uh, people have thrown out Teddy Bridgewater's name coming from New Orleans. I don't see that happening. Um, you know, it didn't end great for Teddy specifically with Pat Shermer in Minnesota. So I'm not sure that's exactly the right fit. Um, so I guess the, my answer is a tepid yes, they have to look and go in that direction. But this is another reason why it looks like they erred in not taking one last year is because quarterback, great quarterbacks or franchise quarterbacks don't grow on trees. And just because some are coming out in the draft this coming year, including Shermer's son, Kyle, from Vanderbilt, does not mean that they're worthy of the pick. Pat, real quick for me, um, Janoris Jenkins, is is he still playing or what? I mean, I see him out there, but the guy just seems reluctant to really tackle anybody anymore. I remember it was a game last year where he basically completely mailed it in. I forget was uh, maybe uh, the 49ers or San Francisco. Yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness. That was a complete mail-in. And he's had a couple of those moments this year. I know that he says that he's out there giving it 100 and Pat Shermer is standing by him. But, you know, sitting in my living room, I'm not seeing 100% coming out of him on a lot of plays. Yeah, me neither. And it sticks out more because you know what kind of player he is and how good and competitive he is when he plays well and when he's trying. So when he's not trying, it stands out. You cannot convince me that that guy was trying 100% against the Eagles. I don't care what anybody says. And, you know, Shermer does not want – he's not going to throw players under buses, but I promise you that that is the least acceptable thing about Jenkins' play in that game and about any player on Pat Shermer's team um, you know, and it, as I said, in my mind, it's a, it's a compliment to Jenkins, like to say, look, you're a great player. So when you just stand there as a guy's running by you, either out to the corner for a touchdown or in front of you and walking into the end zone, don't tell me that it was because your eyes were bad on the play. <laughs> if you're not making a meaningful effort to go to the ball, you're not going to convince me because you're basically an all pro level corner. So get into the play and make a play. You're um, you're preaching to the choir, Pat. I'm right there with you. So you and I will will fight that fight on that hill. No doubt. All right, Pat, you got to get off to practice. So uh, thrilled to have you on as always. And we're going to get you back later in the season once the Giants make that playoff push. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll talk to good. you next you year. Jokes. All right, sounds All right good. thanks, All right, Pat. Thanks. And that's Pat Leonard from the Daily News, and he certainly tells it like it is, huh? He, he does, and it's clear that he has been firing missiles at the Giants for a long time. You know, when the Giants were drafting, and the big argument was, do they go with the quarterback? Eli obviously was on the back nine of his career, or do they go with the running back that they wound up taking? And they may very well have found a Hall of Famer, but there is a needed quarterback. But I go back to what Pat said about how they like their fourth round pick out of Richmond. You know what I mean? Like I know there are quote unquote franchise quarterbacks, but you can look at them, Mm -hmm. but you can't, you can't 
identify them. In other words, a guy fits the profile, 6'4", cannon arm. We've seen those guys fail. We've seen those guys go on to Hall of Fame careers. It is a position that is interesting where some of these guys come from. Um, you know, Philly loves the guy they have. Where'd he come from? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, where did Wentz come from? Yeah, North, from small. Yes, what, Dakota, North Dakota. State, North Dakota. North Dakota. So, yeah. Whatever. So yeah. uh, you can find these mm-hmm. guys. And so I don't mm-hmm. blame the Giants in a way for thinking they had one last chance. There was just enough but juice talk left. Of, talk about they going. Would change the, well, they would change the coach, change the culture, and Eli would have one last kick at the With can. With all these weapons. But Odell, talk- Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingraham. Now we've given and him a running Barkley. back. We upgraded the offensive line. It just hasn't worked. But all in. Talk about going all in on Eli. There's no backups. Yep. I mean, and whatever happened to Davis Webb? I mean, I, he was supposed to have some promise, and boom, all, he was gone. Yes. And, and now they, I mean, who's going to, come on, who's uh, this, Kyle tan, this tanny guy? No, Kyle, Kyle Aletta. Kyle as, as Pat told us, Kyle Aletta there. Yep. Their fourth round pick, the they spider. think he's the guy, yeah. The oh. spider. Well, you know, okay, Dave Gettleman has got some answering to do. I mean, yeah. a lot of this falls on his head, and he came in talking big, you know. We got a champ only here, fellas, because, you know, at the Boston accent. I'm here because it didn't work, and so far it has not only not worked, I think it's worse than last year's but, product. But think about it. This is like the Mets. Follow the bouncing ball oh, here. Boy. Well, they brought in an older general manager who's not going to be around long term. Put aside for, for the— moment, the fact that he then was diagnosed with cancer. And as Pat said, thankfully, it's in remission. Mm -hmm. They brought in an older general manager because John Mara, it goes to ownership, John Mara said, you're not changing the quarterback. Mm -hmm. He's still my guy. And so Gettleman takes the job understanding that because they had to discuss it. As they sat down in the interview process, he had to say, look, I don't know that Eli's got it. Are we willing to make a change? And ownership had to tell him no. Or he knew they wanted to that they said no, and he went in and told them what they wanted to hear. Either way, this falls at ownership because they could have directed their general manager to do what he feels is necessary and what is obviously necessary. All that being said, I get it. He won two Super Bowls. There's a soft spot in their heart for Eli Manning. But this is a cold, cruel business, and the change had to be made. Instead, they decided to take one last shot at it. And barring a miracle, I mean, they're still not out of it. They can beat the Redskins twice, maybe beat the Cowboys, get a little luck. Uh, it no. could happen. No. It won't happen. No. But it could. So, you know, here not we are. Not out of it. So, Matt, are you not trying to say what I'm hearing a little bit in there and what Steve also and even maybe what Pat was telling us is that maybe Ben McAdoo in a way is sort of vindicated for seeing that the party was over and wanting to make that move, and then it all blew up in his face? Oh, I think so. But that was handled extent. poorly, too. It was yeah. awful. But right. he knew. I mean, he knew. The right. party's over. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Eli was a statue his first 10 years in the league, and now he's a, really a statue that it doesn't go anywhere. And, and now the new regime with the Giants knows it, too. So, you know, moving forward. Yeah, uh, a year you know, too late, they figured it exactly. out. Exactly. I guess so. And, hey, that'll do it for the podcast this week on moresportsnow.com. We'd like to thank Pat Leonard from the New York Daily News for joining us. Check out our site, moresportsnow.com. Follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, or on Instagram as well. For Steve Tishner, Matt Lachlan, John McAleve, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.